Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A Monday episode of the VanCast following a couple of Canucks losses since we last spoke to the VIPs. Tough loss in Washington where the Canucks managed to come back, take a lead and lose in overtime. And then last night against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Vancouver fell behind 2-0 early, came back, looked good doing it, but ultimately couldn't solve Vasilevsky enough times to salvage a point out of it. Uh, Vancouver gives up three of four points in what is turning into a must-win homestand as uh, Thomas Stransom, the VIPs have a lot to chew on after that, and we're looking forward to having Bruce Boudreau on this episode as well. Consecutive Canucks losses as the VIPs imagine me playing air guitar. <laughs> it's been a while. No, I, I thought the Canucks played pretty well. Honestly, I did. I think they had three really good periods across two games. And, and you know, usually if you play three or two really good periods across two games, you'll win at least one of them. Um, but the Canucks didn't. Slow start against Tampa doomed them. Um, and then the Capitals game. The Capitals game, to me, was like a Rorschach test for this team, right? You could see whatever you wanted. If you looked at the second period, you could see this team that's completely overwhelmed against a superior opponent. And in the third period, you could also see this like plucky team that can't be stopped and that generates this momentum. Like By the time Bo Horvat tapped in that third goal, it felt completely inevitable that they were going to win that game. And honestly, Farhan, through most of the third period, I thought the Canucks were playing a Tom Brady game. No matter what it looked like, they were coming back. And obviously they didn't. Vasilevsky had a big hand in that. Uh, um, uh, an intent to blow moment had a big part of that. But I don't think you look at those two games and say, well, that's proof positive that this is a team that can't get it done. I sort of look at those two games and say, man, the Canucks were a couple breaks from having, you know, three or four points, maybe four or four points. Um, but but that's also sort of how this game works sometimes, right? Like the Canucks have had a lot of breaks over the course of the past three, four months. You're not always going to get them. And I kind of look at officiating, for example, as, as part of that. Like outside your control are the bounces, right? And if you're looking for sort of one thing that you do want to see more of from the Canucks, it is... You know, for me anyway, it remains controlling play five on five. Like it remains the ability, right, to have that higher baseline, um, to be less reliant on your on your conversion rate and your goaltending, because you know, if you rely too much on those, and Vancouver sometimes does, you end up pretty vulnerable to those bounces, to to the volatility uh, within the NHL game. So. Uh, th that's sort of my quick take on those two games. I thought Vancouver played pretty well and all told, but the bounces kind of ran out on them. Uh, some officiating calls went against them. They lost a pit, some coin flips, and that's too bad. But I mean, what are you going to do when you're getting outshot pretty regularly five on five? Like to some extent, if you're not controlling games, you're not making your own luck. And, you know, that's kind of where this team is at they, they can't afford to have those letdowns in a in a quartet of games remaining on this homestand against some teams and we'll get into this later in the podcast that uh, you know i don't think are particularly favorable matchups despite the fact that vancouver's ahead in the standings uh, of three of them yeah, I mean, look, the, the run they were on was pretty impressive and you knew they were going to stumble a little bit. That doesn't mean they're out of it. Doesn't mean they can't get it back on this homestand, but just the margins are so, so tight. Um, it, it just makes these next two games coming up against uh, 
against Jersey and Detroit, critical, critical games for them going forward because there's some some tough games coming up on the back end of that. But uh, when we come back, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Bruce Boudreaux, will join us. We're looking forward to that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are delighted to be joined here on the VanCast by the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks following what's been a really good run for this team. Obviously, the last two games on this homestand, Bruce, you're probably not thrilled with. But first of all, uh, thanks for joining us. And just how have you enjoyed Vancouver so far? You know what? It's, uh, they've treated me wonderful. So, I mean, it's, uh, and uh, the players have treated me great. And when you're winning uh, the majority of the time out there, it's uh, nothing seems to be wrong. And uh that's uh, that's how I've enjoyed Vancouver. I haven't gone too many places. We went to Whistler for Christmas, but at the same time, it's uh, when you live right beside the arena, it's pretty easy just to go to work every day and to go home every day. So it's uh, it's been fun. There's some great food out here, eating a lot of it, and uh, <laughs> as you can tell if you look at me, and uh, so that's uh, that's pretty well it. It's uh, hockey and and dinner. From a team perspective, has it been what you expected? I mean, you, you had mentioned earlier when you got hired that you kind of, I don't want to say checked out, but you weren't as engaged in games while you weren't coaching, but you did do your research on this team before it got here. And you've certainly made it look easy. You know, has it been easy and has it been what you expected? No, it, believe me, coaching in the NHL are, is, is never easy. Um, I just, uh, I've been, I got lucky and the players responded to what uh, I was preaching, I guess, and or the way I was preaching it, and uh, and and they and they played well and they played hard. I mean, um, if there's anything that that they've done for the majority of the games, I mean, there's been three or four bad games out of the 35 I think that I've coached. But I mean, uh, everything else has been uh, they've worked hard and more that we've won more than we've lost. But uh, uh, so I mean. They're they're doing what I'm asking them to do for the most part. Bruce, uh, as a guy who also enjoys eating, and you can tell to look at me, um, can we have some of your Vancouver food picks through your first three months? Oh, I wish you guys wouldn't go there. But I mean, um, <laughs> it's, it's like, if the Aquilinos own a restaurant, I'm there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that way, I love the food that they they serve, and uh, um, and it's a uh, when I have guests in town, that's where we go. We, you know, so, I mean, we do that. And then if we, we're not going there, we're going, you know, to the normal places like the keg and stuff. But, uh, uh, when my wife's in town, we do a lot of eating at home because that's normally what we would do. Bruce, in addition to the team responding to you in your first few months, you've obviously had the market respond pretty significantly. And this tends to be, a pretty critical market, a pretty complicated market to work in, but uh, has clearly embraced you um, over the course of your first three months. Do you, do you feel that? Are you aware of that? Well, I'm, I'm aware of it. I mean, I, I try to stay in my bubble. Uh, I appreciate it like uh, crazy. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful feeling when people, you know, like you. And that's at this stage uh, of, of what we've accomplished. Yeah, I I feel it for sure. I mean, but I never take it for granted. I know, uh, um, you know, the the theme there it is is very close to the theme. There he goes, and uh, <laughs> uh, so you know when you've grown up and uh, in in this business, and and whether I was a player or whether it was a coaching, and you've been in it for an awful long time, 
you never take anything for granted. Um, you just keep, uh, you, you know, it's going to end at some point. You just don't know how it's going to end. And you just, uh, uh, you, I'm grateful for every day that I got a job. You managed to get the most out of a lot of these players. You know, JT Miller had been kind of up and down before you got here. At least Pedersen had been struggling. Part of that was related to the lingering effects of his wrist injury. But, you know, you, you seem to have, have had this, whether it's simply a case of giving them a reset button, but there seems to be a little more to it than that. How do you think you've been able to get the most out of those guys? I think, you know, uh, my biggest strength is communication. Um, uh, I think uh, I talk to the players a lot. I, uh, uh, I can relay some pretty um, good circumstances where things are the same. Like, I mean, from my past, I mean, I think I've done, done it or seen it all or been part of it, it whether you get, you know, in 33 years in the minors and, and 15 years as an NHL coach and, and not having jobs and, and moving and moving families and everything else. So uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good uh, able, pretty good person, able to relate the situation that they're in at this present time, and so we talk a lot about situations like that individually because every every person is different. But I mean, um, and the other thing that I I think that I've learned over the years is uh, how to treat people and and know the the buttons to push on them uh, to make them better, and at the same time uh, being able to read where they're at and uh and understand what their situation is more than what the the game situation is if you understand what what I'm saying is so if I know a guy's not playing well and he's pressing uh, you know uh I can relate situations that have been the same thing for me and uh, him and 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 try to talk him off the roof and and let them know that things are going to be all right. And usually in a very short period of time after that, they recorrect themselves and the player is playing well. We do need to ask you about Pedersen. And, uh, you know, I know there hasn't been an update to this point. I don't know if anything's changed. Uh, what's the update on the injury? And is there a chance we can see him on this homestand? Well, I'm hoping he's skating at 1030 today. So um, um, we'll see how, you know, I think uh, Brady Keeper and, um, Brent Sutter and him and uh, Kyle Burrows and uh, Dickinson are all skating this morning. So it's I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the progress is on all of those guys uh, and uh, to, to see how it goes. So, I mean, it's a, but, you know, we should have a better account of, uh, of PD um, by noon today, I would say. Bruce, in your answer, not the injury one, the one before that, you, you focused on the personalities and how relating to those people can sometimes be even more important than relating to the game situation. Um, you know, in hockey, we spend so much time sometimes, especially analysts and in the media discussing line combinations and, you know, a four check, a one three one on the power play. Um, but is some of what you're implying there that the sort of big picture, the human element just matters more for an NHL team? Well, I think it's part of the package. I mean, uh, uh, they have to understand what you're doing on the ice and all five guys have to be on the same page to make anything succeed. But uh, being in, in uh, being in, I was in when I played in every situation you can think of. I was a high draft pick. I was sent down, called up so many times I can't even remember sat on the bench, sat out, um, sent down when you're playing good, you know, um, not getting the ice time when you're playing, uh, when you're playing real good. And so, I mean, I've sort of learned over that, these times, uh, uh, how people react. If I consider myself an average normal guy, I know how they're reacting and knowing what's going through their heads. And, and I've had some wonderful, wonderful coaches, over the years that have helped me along in this psychology part of the game um, from Andy Murray to Roger Nielsen to George Armstrong to many more in between and, and all different kinds of coaches. So I think I have a, a mindset that when I see something and I need to talk to somebody, I know what's going through, what they're going through, and I think I can help them. Roger Nielsen, of course, has a statue outside the building that you coach in. Um, when you remember 
working for him as a player, uh, how different was some of how he approached preparation from everything you'd experienced previously at the time? Well, I mean, don't forget it. Back in the time, we didn't have the technology that we have now. And yeah. and Roger would stay up. His work ethic was unmatched by anybody that I've ever met. And uh, um, he would stay up all night long and uh, he would put two VCRs on top of each other and cut them and cut the tape up that way. And I mean, you know, most of the guys, uh, quite frankly, even at the at the beginning when he first started doing it in the 70s, wouldn't pay attention to the video. I mean, fortunately for me, I loved video. I loved uh, watching hockey. So, I mean, I had many private sessions with Roger where I asked what was going on, and you just learned from that. But, I mean, uh, Roger was so ahead of the curve on so many so many situations. I'll never forget the year is 1977 and he pulls us all over at practice and he says, listen, I want to try something different today. And he says, um, uh, he says, the neutral zone is really small. And what if we had all 10 players in the neutral zone? It would be pretty tough for them to make a play. So if we backed up and we forced them at the blue line and forced them at the red line and everybody stayed stayed up there and let them come into the blue line, uh, let's see how it would do. So I mean, he introduced the trap in 1977 <laughs> and we practiced it a bit and the players didn't like it, which is, of course, the reaction you're going to get. <laughs> and <laughs> But he kept it in the back of his mind, and I kept it in the back of my mind that, well, this is pretty effective. And the players didn't like it because nobody could get through the neutral zone. And uh, uh, But Roger was like, he would think outside the box like that and uh, come up with things like that and um, many, many other things that he did. But, you know, the, the great thing about Roger was that you would listen to him because he was never a yeller and screamer at you and he didn't curse at you. He, he talked to people. And this is, I think what his greatest trait was he talked to the people, uh, to the players rather than screamed at the players. And back in the day when I started in the seventies, what you usually got is you got dictators as coaches and uh, uh, Roger was the anti-dictator. And <clears throat> that's why uh, Harold Ballard didn't like him because he wasn't like <laughs> punch him last. He wasn't like Joe Crozier, <clears throat> like any of the guys that punch that uh, Harold had grown up with. He was like a, um, and he wore his hair a little longer, and he, is, he was like a a new a new aged hippie. And so there was so much. He should have been the Leaf coach for fifteen years, and he would have done something very special with them. But he, uh, he, you know, that's what Harold didn't like him for that reason, so he got rid of him. What would Roger Nielsen tell you right now about the Canucks' slow starts of life? Oh, my God. If he was around, I'd really like to know what he'd say because, I mean, <laughs> we're doing everything prep-wise, but uh, to get them ready, um, you know, from practicing in the morning to not practicing in the morning to days off before to not days off before to um, everything. But in the end, it comes down to self-preparation. And uh, I think I, one of the messages I said last night after the first period is, is you guys come out and you think you're working, but, and because I had the same thing with the junior team I have is, and even using this as a, as a, a part of why I was saying this is say, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you think you're working to the top of your level. You're working so hard and the other team is just playing better. That, that level is too low. You could get it up another, you know, you're only halfway there. So uh, you can work harder. And in the, in the end, the second period and the third period, we worked harder. And I thought we controlled most of the game in those two periods. But I mean, sometimes you think you're doing, you're doing really, really well, but you're not doing really well at all. And until we learn, and the phrase I used to use is, listen, when you work as hard as you can, and you're going as fast as you can and as hard as you can for as long as you can. If you go too far and you're too exhausted, you will faint from lack of oxygen. And I haven't seen anybody on this team faint. So, I mean, that means they can go harder still. And I think that's the message I'm trying to get through that even though guys think that some guys think they're working, there's another plateau that they can reach to work a little harder.
You talked after the game about, hey, bring in a sports psychologist. It sounded tongue-in-cheek. Are you serious? Have you thought about that? Well, you know what? We had one in Anaheim, and uh, she was absolutely fantastic. Uh, a Toronto girl. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting her name but right now, but she worked with the Dodgers, and she worked with the Raptors, and she worked with the Ducks. And uh, uh, anytime somebody wanted to talk, uh, it, she helped me a great deal. And going through some uh, some tougher times in Anaheim, she you, she definitely helped the players. I know she, Bobby Ryan, um, lived for her uh, as far as when things were going wrong. Uh, she would talk to Bobby Ryan; would really help him. So, in my mind, I mean, I don't know where the budgets and everything are or what's been done in the past, but I, I would totally recommend one if you can get the right girl. Yeah, her name is Dr. Dana Sinclair. She's fabulous. Yeah. She's worked with yeah. many top top teams. So, yeah. uh, and I know that uh, Berkey was a fan of hers and brought her into a Anaheim as well. Yeah, Dana's, and she. I, I'm mad that I forgot her name, but I mean, uh, I just worked with her at a conference before I got hired, and uh, she's a real good friend of mine. And but uh, she she's so good at what she does, and she helped so many players. I think it would be a good idea um, if it was something that we talked about in the off season for next year. Bruce, uh, about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, you mentioned that your job was to make the next week ahead of the NHL trade deadline as difficult as possible for your, for Jim Rutherford and, and company. Um, obviously you've accomplished that with the run that the club has gone on, but as you think big picture and, and understanding how much success you've had with this team to this point, um, you know, where are areas uh, to get better in, in order to perhaps sustain what you've managed over 40 games or so uh, over a full season next year, in your view? Um, I mean, I, I think every team can, uh, can get better. I think uh, if you look at our team as a whole, eh, I think our team speed isn't as good as what other teams have. I think that's something that could be improved. Uh, I think we've got some tremendously skilled players, but at the same time, um, we could use a couple more. Uh, so, I mean, I, to me, our goaltending is solid uh, as as the day is long. Uh, it, you could use probably a, one more, a right-handed offensive defenseman um, it, it, to go along with the, we got a lot of big, solid guys, and uh, uh, but I think one more of them is something down the down the road that you, you could probably use. Um, but I mean, the one thing I've learned with this team is when we're playing our game, we compete with every single team. There's, I mean, I was going about it before this morning. I mean, we've played since I've been here. We've played two games against Florida. Um, we, you know, we're we outplayed them the first game and lost and then lost in overtime in the second game. Um, we've played two games against Carolina where we're one and one, two games against Washington, which were um, uh, one and one or one oh and one. Um, we've had this Tampa is the only team we've lost two games in regulation to, uh, I think, since I've been here. Every other team, uh, and whether they're good or bad, you go to uh, – the Canadian division, we haven't lost a game to any team in regulation um, to a Canadian team yet uh, since I've been here. I don't know. I can't say that before I was here, but um, so we compete really hard. We, we're close. We're, we're really close. And I, I just, I think that uh, uh, the future bodes well. I don't know what kind of pipeline we have with um, uh, prospects yet. Uh I just haven't had time to to focus on that, but um, uh, I I think the Vancouver people, I mean, uh, you know, they're expecting some good things from from this team. I think the future is is bright with the young talent that they have, and I think it's going to get better as the, with Jim uh, Jim and Patrick taking over. Bruce, you've consistently looked to win the week. You've won a lot of weeks, um, both with this team and with and with previous teams, right? You've you've yeah. had yeah. some. You've you've become something of a turnaround specialist, and you've added this notch uh, to your belt in Vancouver. Um, as you look at 
the rest of this homestand and the rest of this season, um, you know, the odds are, remain daunting, right? Although some teams ahead of you have, have perhaps left a little bit of a door open. What's been the key to your ability to do this in various places, whether it's Anaheim, Washington, now Vancouver? And um, what about this group gives you some hope that perhaps this will have a, a similarly happy ending to the one in Washington, um, you know, based on your experience? Well, I, I do believe, you know, and we mentioned it as coaches the other day that the players now believe in themselves. You know, I mean, um, some of those wins come from behind wins were were great and uh, and they believe in themselves and they believe that they can do it. I mean, it's something I preach about every day that, I mean, uh, the possibility is there, the the opportunities are there. I'll go over team schedules and our schedule and say, listen, boys, if we do this, this is where we'll be at the end of this week. And and uh, I think it's uh, uh, it's been an encouragement to a lot of the players. And I I truly believe that every one of them in there until until it's until it's shown us that we can't make it are going to believe that they can make it then um you know i mean there's stories when when we did it in washington i mean we had to win the last seven games to win by one point and we had to have luck that carolina would lose to florida and they did um and uh, uh, that happened i mean um, in Anaheim, when we went there, we were again in dead last and we won 21 out of 23 games to put us right back into the race. And, um, and, and so, I mean, it, once you start to believe you can win, good things happen. Once you get the goaltending and we do have it, then anything can happen. So it's, uh, um, it's, it's just up to me to facilitate the, the, the belief in these guys that they can, they can go out and win the game and, and that they're, they're capable of winning. I mean, even the last two games, I mean, you lose in overtime to Washington, which is, um, you know, uh, every year they're like one of the top five teams in the league. And then you lose to the Stanley cup champions, uh, the two time Stanley cup champions, no matter how tired they were, uh, when they've lost a few in a row, they know how to shut it down and, they uh, they gave Vasilevsky the extra day, and I thought the last two periods that we really were the better team. And you know, I, I still uh, think that the the quick whistle and the the minor. And I'm looking up the rule here. I'm going to talk to uh, one of the officials today. Is when you know a high sticking penalty, and they looked at it for four minutes, but um, the, then because it was blood. And then they, but can they take the whole penalty away or should it just go back to two minutes? Because if it was a two minute high sticking penalty, they couldn't have reviewed it. I, I just having a hard time with some of these, the rules that were, that, that are on the books right now. Well, Bruce, we're definitely not having a hard time with you as the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. You've been a delight since you've been hired. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. And we will see you again tomorrow on game day. Anytime we can talk hockey, I'm a happy man. So, uh, Feel free to do it again. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Bruce. Okay. Thomas, look, both you and I have been fans of Travis Green, the coach, uh, the person. You know, we had we had pretty good relationships with him uh, off the ice. But, you know, nonetheless, we thought he was a good coach. But there's a whole different vibe to Bruce Boudreaux, both on the ice, off the ice. If you're dealing with him from a media standpoint, if you're a fan, he's an easy guy to cheer for. What a great addition he's been to the market. Yeah, he's Done an incredible job. I mean, he's far exceeded any reasonable expectations with this roster. No question about it. And considering his contract status, I mean, sign the man up as many years as he's willing to work. Like, this is uh, clearly something they've found. Like, here's the analogy that I'd use, right? I still think this roster is not particularly good, right? Um, but like a, like a chef in the chopped kitchen. <laughs> you know, Br is why going to use this on the armies? boudreaux has been given boudreaux has been given like, you know, old shallots and like full lamb's ears or something like just like a bunch of weird stuff. And look, he's he's cooked up a five star dish. I mean, it's incredible. Man loves food <laughs> and uh, and clearly, clearly he can prepare it uh, regardless of what ingredients he's got. Uh, it's I, I mean, I'm running out of. I'm running out of explanations for it, right? All I know at this point, Farhan, is I'm done betting against Bruce Boudreaux. 
Wow. And, and you like to bet. There's no doubt. You know, if it, what should be on <laughs> what should be on VanCast Thomas Durant's bingo is the best. I thought you were going to come with. He's the best because that just uh, encapsulates it all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, so Durant had two losses in the last uh, three games, or two losses in their last two games, really. One with, uh, they did manage to pick up a single point uh, with the nice comeback against Washington, and they almost did it again against Tampa because they did get the third period goal and were pressuring, right? I mean, if you look at the, the last 50 minutes of this game, the Canucks were the better team, and you called it in terms of the formula to victory for Tampa Bay. They needed to empty the tank in the first half of the first period and then ride their goaltender who they decided to play in the second half of back-to-backs, right? Um, you know, Smart. just a bizarre... They did. It, I mean, that's a that's a mature team, right? They just knew exactly... They knew who they were on sa- on Sunday night, right? Like, they knew exactly yeah, but did they know who they, who they were. were on Saturday? Like, that part of Tampa's strategy, like, you'd think you would play the better goaltender against the more high-level shooters in McDavid and Dreisaitl, and generally teams do it in, the first end of back-to-backs. Unless, unless, well, there's two things. One is Vasilevsky's been bad in the first game of back-to-back, so I, th- I wonder how much of it was just superstition. Yep. And the other is that, you know, they're five points back now of the Florida Panthers for number one in the Atlantic, and it is well worth winning the Atlantic, right? Because there's three teams that are going to be 110 point teams in that division, right? Like you don't want to face, or ideally, if you're Tampa Bay, like you really don't want to face having played way more hockey than everyone else as winners of two straight Stanley Cups. You don't want to face Florida or Toronto, probably Toronto, in the first round of the playoffs. Like you want to face one of the wildcard teams and let those teams duke it out. Right. Let those teams have a seven game series or a six game series that, you know, uh, grinds them both down for you. Uh, So, you know, I thought it was an aggressive play to try and take all four points. Now, the Oilers came out and played dynamite hockey on Saturday. But, you know, I don't know if Vasilevsky would have won them that game. But I think that was an aggressive move by uh, by Cooper uh, to play it the way he did. Yeah, and uh, before we get to the rest, let's we'll recap where the Canucks are at right now with uh, another game coming up in this homestand on Tuesday. But as far as the wild third spot is concerned, the Canucks are two back of the free-falling Vegas Golden Knights. The Canucks actually have a game in hand on Vegas, if you can imagine. But uh, Vegas right now with 68 points. The Canucks three points back with 65. Dallas in between them. Dallas with three games in hand on Vancouver, four games in hand on Vegas. And Dallas is just one point back of Vegas. So really, when you well, look at the- it, that's the problem, right? Is Dallas only yeah. played one game in five days. So the losses that the Canucks sustained this weekend, even though I thought they played pretty well, um, you know, I thought they had a good first period and a good third period against Washington. I thought the second period, and we'll get into this more, but anyway, the, the cost yeah. of those losses is that you don't put any pressure on Dallas, right? And, no. and, Meanwhile, meanwhile, the one team to watch behind the Canucks for me is Winnipeg, right? Winnipeg now has Lars Ehlers back. Lars Ehlers, that's not his name. I, I mixed up Lars Eller and Nikolai Ehlers, which is very much what, uh, who else did that? Was it, uh, was it Quinn Hughes? Yeah, me and Quinn Hughes, um, both messing up the, or both confusing Ehlers and Eller. Anyway, uh, different Danish forward. Nikolai Ehlers is back. And if there's a goalie who you think can go on a run here and make things pretty interesting, it's got to be like, you know, obviously it's Thatcher Demko, but it's also Connor Hellebuck, right? It's like yep, the Winnipeg sure. Jets are are <clears throat> almost more Vancouver than Vancouver. <laughs> so I'm not counting them out either. But the but the stars are 
in the driver's seat here now ha- with uh, as a result of Vegas falling off the way they have. Yeah, in terms of point percentage, they're ahead of the teams that are that are chasing the spot down. I mean, you look at Edmonton, who's right now in third in the Pacific. Edmonton with one game in hand on Vancouver. They're sitting with 59 games, 68 points to Vancouver's 65. So, you know, you, you've got uh, you've got six teams there battling for essentially three playoff spots. So um, it's it's going to come right down to the wire here, you would think, and whether the Canucks are still going to be in that. I mean, there are going to be teams of those six. There's going to be a couple of teams that are – Right there on the final day of the regular season, right? And when yeah. you look at the Canucks, and the Canucks play the Oilers on the final day of the season, correct? And they play Vegas three times in between, but Vegas may have played themselves out of it by that point, right? Like those games might not have the leverage we're expecting them to have, just because of the fact. Like ultimately, the Canucks are going to have to win them, but in terms of them being four point games, based on the way Vegas is going. Going right now, they may be behind them, and they're looking at, at Nashville and Edmonton and Dallas right now yeah. uh, to get into to get into or, those spots. Or Vegas so, um, is going to shake up their roster and go on a run. I mean, that's the problem with that's the problem yeah. with like you never want to be chasing the elite team that's flagging. You know, because sure. those teams have a have a habit of figuring it out. Right? Yeah, uh, they do. Th- that's that's the concern. And but the, but the goaltending health is also a concern, right? Totally, totally. In but, Vegas, go- but goaltending health comes for everybody, right? That's the that's you know is that an edge you have or have you just not run into your own issue, right? That's the that's the concern that you you got to take. I don't think you can you know um, we were talking about how healthy the Canucks have been all season last week, and now Elias Pettersson's down. So it's just like you know you can't you can't assume that you have a health advantage over everyone over the balance of the season. That's not kind of how it works. Yeah, and if you if you missed it earlier, Bruce Boudreaux said that uh, uh, six Canucks, or is it five now, they're actually skating. They skated on Monday. Uh, you've got Elias Pettersson, who uh, took to the ice, so hopefully that's not too serious. He's hoping to get him back at some point in this homestand. Um, you know, still listed as day-to-day with an upper body injury. Brandon Sutter is back skating. Uh, Brady Keeper, Kyle Burrows, it. Jason Dickinson are all going to be scared, all skated on Monday morning, and... Um, you know, there, there could be updates that come out as the day progresses. But again, it shows you the Canucks, you know, they're not going to lose these guys for the entire season. Uh, certainly in Pedersen's case, they could get him back fairly quickly here. And uh, you mentioned goaltending. I want to get to that in a minute. But first, given the fact the Canucks gave up three of four points in these last four games, you have got New Jersey and Detroit coming up on Tuesday, Thursday. This is the definition of must win right now. Yeah, no, I mean, and and look, I think these are tough games. The, the, what's interesting about the dynamic is if you look at the Oilers as sort of a foil, right? The Canucks' next four games are against New Jersey, Detroit, the Flames are stuck in there, and then Buffalo. And the Oilers' next three games are against New Jersey, Detroit, and Buffalo, right? They don't have the extra one against the Flames. So, you know, one, th- one way to think about this next week of Canucks hockey is almost like a game of horse between Vancouver and Edmonton, right? Vancouver has to more than match what the Oilers do, right? If the Oilers hit the shot, uh, the Canucks have to hit the shot and then make another one that the Oilers can't make, right? Like that's how you have to gain here. And and it's rare that you get this sort of, um, you know, playoff race where both teams are on a homestand and hosting the same teams, but it, it really is shot for shot here this week between Vancouver and Edmonton. And it's going to be really tough because at the end of the day, as well as Vancouver has played under Boudreaux and as big a question mark as Edmonton's goaltending is, Edmonton has Connor McDavid. You know, like that's it's it remains a very steep climb for the Canucks. They've given themselves way more of a shot than I ever thought they'd have at this point in the season. And yet their playoff odds have never gotten above one in four. Right. It's just so hard to gain on teams, and you probably need every game on this homestand, um, probably 13 or 14 wins on the way out, which means you can't afford to drop more than, what, seven, eight games the rest of the way. Um, it's going to be an absolute meat grinder for this team. The odds are stacked against them, and yet with the way they're playing, again, I'm done. I'm done betting against Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, it is hard, right? I mean, to the way they've been playing, they seem to find something. And even here, like I, I fully expect the Canucks to win these next two games, right? Like they haven't been 
when when they've had the odd hiccup here along the way here, they it it hasn't manifested itself into a deep freefall. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got a team that still has everything to play for, and if Pedersen's not out that long, you know, coupled with the fact that look, they, like they played really well against two very good teams in Washington and Tampa. And I know that, you know, you, you had predicted Tampa to be a scheduled loss uh, for them, for Tampa coming into this uh, weekend. And a lot well, of that was because was. it played well, out the way I expected, except the result. But not only that, I, I'm not sure we fully expected Vasilevsky to be playing game, game two of the back to back. That was so a I wrinkle. Think, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a, a big part of it. And, you know, the, and, and the Canucks the don't lose thing, if Brian Elliott's in net. No right? question. Like they no win question. that game if it was Elliot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you look at this, like I fully expect them to put out a very good performance. You know, the fact that they lost in New Jersey is also going to be a motivating factor. And Boudreaux uses the, these types of things. So many coaches want to keep everybody in the moment. But Boudreaux has admitted he talks about the standings and the importance and the projections and the math and all of this. He uses all of that. Now, I don't know that it's helped him in the first period of most hockey games, but in terms of overall result, it certainly has. Well, first period of most hockey games. I mean, the, I, you know, that's more of that's more for for you. That's more for Coach Farhan than it is for me. Right. I think this team struggles in the first periods because teams are dialed in at the start of games and the limitations on this roster show when both teams are dialed in like this Washington Capitals game is a really good example where it's like I didn't think the Canucks were very bad in the first period. Um, the Caps get a lucky break and a power play goal and the Caps power play is going to score. So that is what it is. Right. You're down to nothing. The second period. The second period, I thought the Capitals were playing with their food, like we're pushing around a team that was slower and smaller and inferior to theirs. And the reason I don't think they were able to put the game away wasn't even the usual things like Demko. I, I think they were just feeding Ovechkin too much. I literally think they were conf- uh, they were distracted by the history that Ovechkin is chasing. And, you know, like the only puck that Ovechkin got that he didn't shoot was when he went cross seam on the power play right before they tied the game up 3-3 in the third period. It was like the first time he deferred the whole game. Um, I think that was a game that the Caps just took their foot off the gas, and then the Canucks came out, and to their credit, uh, rest- rested momentum from Washington and and managed, staged a really impressive comeback that probably should have held up if not for a, a call that, you know, I think... Um, the Canucks and the fan base were justifiably aggrieved by the the Tyler Myers uh, hit on Kuznetsov was was you know pretty iffy. Um, so there you go. There that that's sort of why I think the team's struggling in the in in early in games. I just think that's when teams are dialed. That's when teams are ready to play. And and this team comes back sometimes because I think teams take their foot off the gas. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know that it's that simple, right? Like you can't attribute like two periods of a hockey game to, to score effects, right? Like it can't always be that simple, right? I mean, this team does a lot process wise. Yeah. You know, when they, when they get down and look, the, the slow starts haven't been a problem throughout Bruce's uh, tenure, right? They certainly were when Travis was here. Um, you know, I, I think there's more to that. I mean, I, I do think that there is some quality here. You and I understand that, that there is, there are flaws on this roster and Boudreaux outlined them, right? He talked about improvements on the right side of their defense. He talked about needing more scoring, but you know, I, I don't think what we see when this team gets turned up a notch is complete fantasy, right? There's more there. Like this team is capable to the point where Thomas Drance has said, I'm done betting on against this team. And I want to transition quickly because as well as they're playing, the goaltending well, hasn't been out of its, the goaltending hasn't been. No, it's not incredible. It's been good. So, you know, when I say that Bo Horvat is not above criticism, VIPs do not take from that that I hate Bo Horvat. I love Bo Horvat, right? Um, and, I, you know, I, you want the guy to do well because he's all that's good, right? Um, and, and he's playing well now. Do not take from a comment that I have said that Thatcher Demko has been good. He's made spectacular saves, but there have been some moments of iffy, and some of those have been early in hockey games for this team of late, to the point where they've outscored him in the previous five games, right? Uh, you know, not including the Tampa game. So they, they've, you know, he hasn't always been the best goaltender on the ice, even though he's made really important saves. You know, you look at the fact that he'd been averaging three goals allowed for four games, but they had gone four and oh in that stretch. That says something, right? And I think then you had the you had the Washington game. No, the Montreal game was a part of that. So again, I'm not telling you he's played poorly, but you know, you made the point earlier in the season 
that they needed a goaltender to play out of his freaking mind just to stay in the conversation. Boudreaux himself has said that, you know, sometimes he just plays good and doesn't just do, you know, crazy things. And we think he's playing bad. He hasn't played bad, but he's been good. And it feels like a, he's fatigued and B this team still needs him to be better than good, which has proven itself through much of the season. I mean, I, I, I think it's a real issue that they're going to have to be very careful in managing, especially on this homestand. I mean, they have four more games left on this homestand, so there there's at least one start that a backup is going to make this week. Um, and then you've got a back-to-back in Colorado and Minnesota. That's a really tough back-to-back set there for the Canucks. Um, you know, this this could be your season right now, right? The next six games, if you go 500 here, that's it. That's it. You're done. Yeah, so... So got maybe six more losses they can play with the rest yeah, of the way. Is that a yeah, fair six, number? Six or seven, six or seven, depending on fa- what well, happens. And, ahead and of I them. say that I say that because of the tiebreaker as well. Right. Well, if you want to control really- your destiny, you have five or six. Yeah. Right. I mean, For that's sure. that's where you're at. But if you if you know, you could you lose seven and get in? Sure. But I mean, if you want to. Six would give them the tiebreaker. And like you say, control your own destiny. And we because we view every point, we add a point. To where they're at in every scenario because of the lack of regulation. Except, wins. except Dallas. Dallas. Except Dallas doesn't sure. hold that hammer over them. So you know it is. A, it's a weird look. It's it's really tough. It's going to be really really tough. And they do need Demko to be really good. And he's never played this much hockey before. Like he's never done it. And, and you've got Calgary coming in after the Canucks embarrassed them the last time out. Well, so that's a that's schedule loss though for Calgary. Uh, off the back of double, yeah, back to backs, and then yep. Buffalo on the Sunday. So look, Buffalo on the Sunday. Buffalo on the Sunday is the day before the trade deadline, right? So that matters because do you want to put if, if you if you really think you can trade Halak, and uh, you know even IMAX said yesterday on the broadcast that there's optimism that they can get him moved. What do you do with Halak, knowing Demko's got a fatigue issue? Boudreaux's admitted it. Right now, you know, he hasn't said he's got an issue, but he does concede we have to manage his workload. How do you handle the 19th and 20th Calgary and Buffalo back to backs the day before the trade deadline? Well, Halak's got to play. I mean, if you don't play Halak. What an indictment that is. Yeah, exactly. You 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 hose your own leverage and presumably you also make it less likely that it'll work with you. Right. You can't stiff him and then have him help you out by waving, right? So it's a complicated situation to manage, but you got to you got to play Halak in one of those two. So you so he gets Buffalo. But here's the dynamic to watch for this week, right? The Canucks are playing a bunch of teams that can do one thing decently well over the next few games. And actually Calgary is kind of the exception. The Detroit Red Wings, the New Jersey Devils, and the Buffalo Sabres are not good. None of those teams are particularly good, but they all can do one thing pretty well, and that's transition. They can skate. Their back ends are pretty quick. Like, look at Detroit. You've got Nick Letty. You've got Moritz Sider. You've got, you know, Osterley, who's not very good, but he can move. Troy Stetcher. Troy Stetcher can move. He can skate out of trouble if he needs to. Um, up at, Oh, Philip Heronic, right? Same thing. Uh, you look at New Jersey. We've already seen it. Siegenthaler, Dougie Hamilton. Um, you know, these guys can skate. They can move. They can break the Canucks forecheck. And when teams can break the Canucks forecheck, sometimes this Canucks team doesn't find plan B. They can't find plan B. And that's partly because their D isn't mobile enough, right? It's not. They don't move the puck well enough. They need to create offense from their opponent's mistakes created by a sellout 2-1-2. And they've done it really well under Boudreaux. I think it's become their identity when this team's played well. They've imposed their will on the opposition and they've dictated pace with an aggressive forecheck. That's an awful lot of fun to watch. But when that fails, when teams break it, like we saw the Capitals do in the second period in particular, and like we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning do through 10 minutes, it can look really dicey for this team. And, and on paper, you'd look at Buffalo, Detroit, and New Jersey as teams Vancouver should beat. And yet, I think of the four remaining teams that Vancouver faces on this road trip, by far their best matchup is the plodding back end of the Calgary Flames, where really you've only got uh, Shillington, who is a risk, like who who poses a risk with his feet. He's the only guy I'm really worried about uh, busting through the Canucks forecheck individually. 
Whereas, you know, Detroit, New Jersey, and um, Buffalo all have a bunch of guys who can do it. Uh, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. That's the main thing I'm looking for this week because I do worry that while, again, you look at the standings, you think, hey, this shape's shaping up pretty well. I actually think these matchups are a lot more difficult than people maybe realize. Any possibility at all, at all, that Demko plays game two of the back-to-back and not game one? Uh, you're playing a, um, obviously, you're playing a much better team, a motivated team in Calgary. But again, they're coming off this, you know, for them, it's the second end of a back-to-back. Um, we don't know if we're going to see Markstrom in that game or not. I think we're going to see Markstrom. He got lit up. He got lit up last time he was here. Okay, so then they're going to play him on the second end. Uh, they're going to play him in their second game. But I now think so. you, the big, biggest thing is, is that you give Demko one additional day before playing. He's got to play one of the back-to-backs. You're trying to manage his workload. Does that weigh in at all that they could give him one extra day before playing? I, I probably would, but I'd also ask you to ask me after this week. Like, you know, if the Canucks get say one of two one of four points in the next two games or even two of four points then you got to take your best shot against Calgary they're a tired team you play your best goalie with your fresh lineup and 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 take your best shot because you just need that you need all, you need the points if you win two maybe you're like okay let's get aggressive or if you have three out of four points maybe you're like okay we can play aggressively here let's let's go Hawk against the flames that that would be my that would be my logic there but um you know Ian Clark, Ian Clark, Bruce Boudreaux, I'd trust their uh, conversations and, and the decision that they come to far more than I trust even my own recommendation in this case. La- the last two, before we go, I know we've, we've gone long here because Bruce was so good. Um, these past two games, who's impressed you? And I, and I say that because they're, they've really shortened the bench quickly, right? Because they've fallen behind, so they've kind of gotten into that mode and they've shortened the bench fast. Uh, so some guys haven't necessarily had the opportunity that they normally get. Um, uh, Bo Horvat, for me, I think has been really good. And it's not just the goals he, he scored culpa. against... <laughs> no, no, like, I'm just kidding. Don't I'm be just that kidding. Guy. Don't I'm be just that kidding. guy. I didn't oh, say I'm, I was wrong. I'm I didn't always say I was that wrong guy. Before. I'm always that guy. <laughs> I know. Like, I didn't say I was wrong previously, right? When I said he was yeah. worthy of a criticism. I've been as really impressed to, with I Alex Edler. Edler's really stood out to me. Yeah, he's, as opposed to Ehlers <laughs> and Eller, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, outside of the obvious, because he didn't score in the last game, but I thought he generated. He was no, he was noticeable. He was an absolute horse in the faceoff circle. Um, so I thought he looked good. I think Connor Garland is slowly starting to kind of get his game where it needs to be. Is there anyone who's jumped out to you uh, that uh, that you've liked? Well, I want to flip it because I, I feel like I'm the anti Bruce Boudreaux. Boudreaux's all positivity. I'm all negativity. So I'm this going is true. to I'm going to continue to be Wario to Bruce Boudreaux's Mario <laughs> and uh, and say that the um, I want to point out what I've not liked and the and number one on my list of things I have not liked is. Uh, Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen. I want to see Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen play because I did not like um, Hughes and I did Hamannick. not like Hughes and Hamannick. I yeah, thought that was a, a I thought that was I mean I don't want to use a word like I don't want to I don't want to go overly dramatic and say something like train wreck or like something like that but it's like that was a big problem for them um, in both of those games. I mean the Canucks like <laughs> the Canucks have only surrendered Three five-on-five goals, like all, they only surrendered three five-on-five goals between the Lightning and the Washington Capitals, and Hamonic was on the ice for all three. Right, Hughes was on the ice for two, both of them with Hamonic. Um, in the game against the Capitals, or sorry, the Tampa Bay Lightning, like they lose Victor Hedman. None of them is even looking at the goal scorer. No one, no one in front of the net is even looking at the goal scorer. Um, with Hamannick and Hughes, though, it, the, the Lightning generated like 1.45 uh, expected goals in the first period. And Hughes and Hamannick were on the ice for 1.1 of that. Like 80% of the damage and both goals against came with that pair on the ice. Like, let's go back. I'd like to go back to Hughes-Shen. And I'd like to never see that pair separated, at least while the personnel on this lineup, in this lineup remains the same. Travis Hamannick's individual expected goals in these two games, 32.8, 32.8. Um, 
Hughes, 44, no one else is below 50%, right? Like there's a massive gulf between how they've played and how the rest of the Canucks defense has played. Um, big problem. Big problem for me. Uh, I, I just, I don't need to see it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. I think the Canucks are hurting themselves every time uh, they put that pair out as opposed to leaning on a Shen Hughes pair that has fared really well and a Hunt Hamannick pair that has also fared really well over the course of the past month. Um, I almost get the sense that they were trying to showcase Hamannick a little bit. And I know that's not what it yeah, was, but it, it felt that way. Well, and then one more, one more for you. I do not want to see Oliver Ekman Larson on the flank on PP1. But you haven't wanted that at any point. No, I don't like 2D. I, if I we had longer with Bruce, I would have gotten into it with him. I would have just been like, hey, like, you know, we've seen some old school stuff like da, da, da. But uh, but yeah, I don't want to see 2D on the power play. And I definitely don't want to see, uh, you know, the, the one of their most dangerous power play sequences of the night um, the other day. They felt like they were playing four on four. And, and it still looked so dangerous because of what Hughes and Miller were able to do together. But I just don't understand why you wouldn't put Besser on that flank. Where you know on his um on his downhill side on the right flank and throw either Alex Chason or Tanner, Tanner Pearson, Pearson at the net front, right? Yeah. I mean, but but also Chason, like you have the guy whose job it is to do that. That's like what he does, you know. Uh, to me, yeah, or that's why they signed him. Or finally, finally, just because I still want to see it one day, just once. Tyler Myers, I want to see Tyler Myers at the net front. Please, 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 just just <laughs> give it to me for fun. Well, and Boudreaux would be the type of coach that would do that. It would be that far outside of the box for him. Um, before totally. we go, before we go, Bruce talked about the the calls in that game. Now, you know, he's as not far wrong as, about the minors, by the way. I know, but as far as the high stick is concerned, it's a flaw in the NHL rule. But the NHL didn't get that wrong. No, they didn't. Right? If Bruce had not asked for it to get extended to four minutes for for blood then we don't have this. And it almost felt like he didn't know that that was a possible outcome, but that's in there. So again, it's a flawed well, rule, but they didn't administer it incorrectly. It was just silly that like JT Miller's fully expecting an icing and credit to him for being just like this smart, savvy on ice presence who was able to, you know, register that it was an icing and then get right back to work and go score. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like, I hate that the goal the Canucks get, the bounce that they get, is a play that probably should have been blown dead and that everyone on the ice expected to be blown dead and then it wasn't. And then on the opposite end, the Canucks then score on a play that shouldn't have been blown dead, but it was. Like, it just sucks. It just sucks. And then and then that's compounded with the... Um, the Myers call. The, the, the high stick thing. And then the Myers call from, from the Washington Capitals game. And you put it all together... And combine it with the week that NHL officials have had, right, with some dubious moments, particularly in the Toronto-Arizona game, but also in that Colorado game where Gabriel Landeskog quite eloquently put put the officiating on blast. Um, you know, and and I, I mean... Edmonton-Washington, late in the game. Right, late in the game, yeah. Right? And it's just like, I just don't want to see... I don't want to see officials deciding outcomes that way. And I yeah, feel like we've had a the, lot of it this week. It's It's not just the officials, it's the league. Like, I know it is. As much as we love hockey, like I hate the National Hockey League, especially when it comes to transparency and issues of that sort. Like it's just, does anybody trust Colin Campbell? Does anybody trust the league office to get this right? Does anybody trust Bettman and Daly on this particular issue? You know, they're the definition of old hockey men. And if the old hockey men don't think this is an issue, then it's not an issue. Why would anybody, and with all due respect to my friends at BetMGM, because you should be betting it at BetMGM, um, why would anybody bet on the National Hockey League? Uh, it's it's definitely an issue and one that's pretty easily correctable by just installing some people who have the public's trust in leadership roles, bringing a basic veneer of accountability to officiating decisions, uh, whether it's through a publicly available report a la the NBA or whether it's a making referees available to pool reporters post game a la the NFL Um you know, you, you do those things and then you be more disciplined about disclosing lineups, right? Things like things like the Elias Pettersson thing, right? Like, you know, you, you've got this game listed at a certain number on all these sports books and, and it's only apparent a half hour before puck drop that Elias Pettersson's not playing when clearly the club had a better indication of that. Like, that's not that's another thing that makes the game less accessible to the gambling public and based on, you know, my fervor for NCAA basketball, which basically didn't exist four months ago, right? 
Um, <laughs> letting letting people. I got to video you the next time and put it on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, letting people put some put some action on uh, on these games. Like it'll help you grow the sport. Like I have detailed opinions about Virginia Tech now. You know, like come on, this is a good. This is a good a good weapon for pro sports teams to have. And and right now, I, I mean, I think that the NHL is basically the most unfriendly gambling product there is. And that's a problem in a world where single game sports betting is all the rage and is getting people into games in a totally different way than they have been in the past. 93% of NFL fans do not have never attended a game, which, which tells you where the money right. is headed, Right. And hey, a little bit of betting advice on the Canucks outside of the Tampa Bay game, bet the over because generally they the way things have gone the last couple of weeks. That's what you know, what been. though, you know what, though, I would give the opposite advice because I like to chase regression. Um, so I would give the opposite advice because Vancouver's been on this, uh, you know, shooting percentage bender with a high with a massively low save percentage. And that could well come crashing down. Right. Like that's not going to last. In my view, the Canucks aren't playing a particularly high event game well it might if thatcher doesn't get some rest so that's true. good point hey uh listen as before we go we do want to let you know that uh if you're looking for other podcast options matt duchene of the predators joins craig Custance and sean gentilly tuesday on the athletic hockey show and as for us thanks for listening to the vancast we really enjoyed uh, having bruce boudreau on with us today we're going to make some guests uh, a regular part of what we do much like we do with the live rooms now post game so uh, look for more of that. Also, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We will be back on Wednesday after the Canucks host Jack Hughes and the New Jersey Devils on Tuesday night. 